Hello, I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and uh, today we're doing our part two on Israel and Psalm 83. Last time we kind of set the background of the importance of Israel, and especially in the end times. God predicted that although Israel was scattered because of her rejection of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, nevertheless God would regather Israel, initially in unbelief, but his plan is to deal with Israel in the land and bring her to faith, and then through Israel he would return and establish his kingdom on the earth. But many things need to happen when Israel's back in the land. Partly as part of God's dealings with Israel, it predicts that Israel will have wars with the surrounding nations. And one of those prophecies is Psalm 83, and that's what we're going to look at today. And it talks about these certain nations that are named that will conspire together to attack and destroy Israel, but be defeated by Israel's military. Um, And after that, there is a a time of peace for a time. And then another prophecy, Ezekiel 38, predicts another invasion of a different set of nations, which are an outer ring of nations further away, more powerful nations um, that will attack Israel. Uh, And again, this time, they will be defeated not by Israel's military, but by God himself. That's Ezekiel 38. I've actually written a book about that called The Imminent Invasion of Israel. Um, But I want to focus today on Psalm 83, because really that's where we're at right now. Psalm 83 is a prophetic prayer that's related to the end times. It was actually a psalm by Asaph, who was a prophet and a priest at the time of King David. And, um, and so he is called Asaph the seer. He was a prophet. And this is different from other prophecies in that it's really in the form of a prayer. It's a prophetic prayer. And it looks forward to a future conflict that Israel will have with a specific confederacy of nations which seek to destroy her and remove her from her land. Now, this prophecy has never been fulfilled in ancient times, and so it must be fulfilled in, these, in the last days, which is from 1948 onwards. And as we said, it's a different prophecy to Ezekiel 38, but it's an, another application of God's foreign policy that God gives in Genesis 12 to Abraham. He said, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so this this says that those who come against Israel, who curse Israel, will actually end up being cursed. And, And we'll see in this prophecy that's exactly what has taken place and will continue to take place concerning the nations that come against Israel. Well... When Israel was reborn in 1948, there, there was a, a big war, the War of Independence. She had another war in 1967, another one in 1973. But each time, God, in fulfillment of this prophecy in Psalm 83, God gave you know, military victory to Israel. And um, that's why Jordan and Egypt were two of those nations. They, made, they have made peace now. And the general strategy, because the nations kept being broken by attacking Israel, the 
strategy against Israel has changed more to terrorism and accusation, but these nations are actually afraid to attack Israel now. And it's because Israel is God's chosen covenant people, and it is God who has restored her to her land, despite her unbelief, then when a nation comes against Israel, they're actually coming against God, and they come under judgment. And, th and that's pr predicted in Zechariah 12, verse 3. It says, It will happen in that day that I'll make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples, all nations, all who would heave it away, who would try and take control of it, will surely be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth are gathered against it. And this is a prophecy that is fulfilled when every attack and invasion of Israel takes place. Well, let's go to Psalm 83 right now. And um, we'll see what a stunning prophecy it is. And we are in Psalm 83 right now. When we look at the psalm, we need to understand that it is describing a spiritual warfare. It's not just a natural warfare. That is, behind this physical war going on is a spiritual battle, a religious battle, if you like, between gods or between the true God and the false God of Israel's enemies. That is promoted by principalities and powers. And so the, the key issue in this spiritual warfare is, number one, who is the true God? Is it the God of the Bible? The God of Israel, in other words, or another God? Number two, who are God's chosen covenant people? Is it Israel or not? And third, who has the right to the land of Israel, which is described as my land. God says, this is my land, it's sacred space. But who has the right? Is it Israel because of the covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob or, or not? And so we'll see this evidence as we look at, at the psalm that this is not a normal battle, this is a spiritual battle. Um, so let's, let's look at the first few verses of the psalm. Uh, verse 1, do not keep silent, O God. Like I said, it's a prayer. Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. Do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult or uproar. And those who hate you have lifted up their head or they've exalted themselves in pride based on their belief that their God is greater and on their side so they can't be defeated. So notice it talks about a multitude of enemies, not just one enemy. And notice the spiritual dimension here that the invaders of Israel are called your enemies, those who hate you. Um, that's in verse 2. In other words, they have rejected the God of Israel and they have embraced another God. They, they reject God. So their attack is not just against Israel, but the God of Israel. They want to prove their God is greater by destroying Israel. So there's more at stake than Israel's future. This is an issue and a battle concerning the honor of God's name and the salvation of the world. Because it's through Abraham that the blessing flows. So they want to wipe out Israel, as we'll see so that their God is exalted above all, and the God of Israel is shown to be a false God. And so while Israel is in the land, that's an offense to Islam, because it's a sign and proof that the God of the Bible is the true God, and his covenants are still in force, which implies they're trusting in the wrong God. Their vision is to worship, you know, is to wipe out the worship of the God of Israel, which includes Christianity. And so 
let's let's continue to read this is a prayer really for God to get involved to rise up and to defend Israel because Israel is under attack and then it describes who these attackers are it says in verse 3 they've taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones in other words they are still although they're in disobedience Israel are sheltered ones that is sheltered by God because they have a covenant with God and therefore they have God's protection over them that ensures they will never be destroyed and and so the person praying this prayer is calling on God and calling upon the covenant that Israel has with God they are your people they are your sheltered ones and so despite their present rejection of the Messiah Israel is still described as God's people God's sheltered ones and as we read on, we'll, we see more evidence of, of God's involvement. Verse 4, they have said, come, let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. And of course, this is exactly the uh, attitude of the enemies of Israel. Uh, they want Israel to be destroyed. This is exactly the charters of the PLO and, and, and the charter of Hamas. It's not for a two-state solution, it's the, the destruction of Israel. And so, as, as we um, go to verse 5, it says, They have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you. Again, it's ultimately an attack against the God of, of Israel. Um, so, it talks about the fact that they want to have the pastures of God. Um, in verse 12, it says that they have come to take the pastures of God, that is the land of Israel. In other words, it's a reference to the fact that God is involved, this is God's land, and he can give it to whoever he chooses. And he's chosen to give it to Israel through the Abrahamic covenant. So they are the pastures of God, but also the, the sacred space, really. And so it's a dangerous thing to actually try and take possession of of God's land that he has given by covenant to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. What we're going to see as well at the end of the psalm is that the purpose of the victory, that the psalm is all about praying for victory against these invading armies, the purpose of that, who are wanting to destroy Israel and her God, is that they would be ashamed. That is, by their defeat, it would be revealed to them that they are trusting in something that is false and that they would actually come to know the true God overall. That they, it's really the, the salvation of those who are attacking. And, and so through the military defeat of these invading nations, they will actually realize that the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is still alive and well. And that opens them up to salvation through the Messiah. So if the invaders who worship a false God if they win, they'll be emboldened in their religion and it will spread more. But if they're defeated, it will cause them to question their God and turn to the true God. And that's the best thing that could happen to them, <coughs> is to be soundly defeated. Then they will not trust in their false God. And that will open the door for them for salvation. All right, so 
In verse 5 it says that these nations form a confederacy against Israel. We're going to see, as, as he outlines the names in this confederacy, that it's exactly what started happening in 1948. The exact list of nations is exactly the nations that can, can form the confederacy to destroy Israel at her birth in 1948, which, by the way, was Egypt, Jordan, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, and Lebanon, and Yemen. So, in verse 6, it starts to name them by name. And it, the first one is a surprise that it would be named first, because normally you'd put the most powerful nation first. But first, they put the weakest, which is described as the tents of Edom. Now, the Edomites, this, these tents of Eden, describe the present-day refugee camps of displaced Palestinians. In, in 1948, the Arabs in the land were told to, to flee the land by their Arabic friends because basically they're saying, we're going to just destroy all the Jews and then you can come back and take possess your land. And they were displaced. But of course Israel won. And as a result, they were put in refugee camps. And they particularly the Edomites, that's the descendants of Esau. And so that's the tents of Edom, is a prediction. They're put first because although they're the weakest of all the nations, they are on the front line. By the way, a similar number of Jews have been displaced from Muslim nations, um, but they've all been assimilated in Israel and other nations. But the, the Arabic nations had a deliberate policy of keeping of not assimilating them so that they would be on the borders of Israel in camps as a thorn in Israel's flesh on the front line of this battle. And this was even predicted in Obadiah 1.7 where it talks to Edom and about the end times. In fact, Obadiah 1.15 is a prophecy of the day of the Lord, the tribulation when God's going to judge all nations. But before that, there's a specific prophecy on Edom before the tribulation. And it says in verse 7, all the men in your confederacy, same word, shall force you to the border, the border of Israel. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. In other words, they'll be used as pawns in this battle. Those who eat your bread will lay a trap for you. No one's aware of it. In other words, um, they are going to be used. The Palestinian refugees are going to be used um, as pawns in this battle. And they'll be placed on the border of Israel as part of the plan to ultimately destroy Israel. And so that's the first group, the Tents of Eden. The second group is the Ishmaelites. Now that's the Arabic nations and, and the um, Saudi Arabia was part of that confederacy to, in 1948. Then it says Moab, that's uh, one of the sons of Lot and that's part of Jordan. Jordan was part of the, the initial attack. Um, and in 1967. Um, and then it says the Hagarites. Now that's after Hagar, the Egyptian mother of Ishmael. So th this is describing Egypt. Now why name Egypt after Hagar? Well there's a specific reason which is called the ancient hatred. We don't have time to look into it. But basically when um, Isaac, um, you know, the ch Israel was chosen rather than say, you know, Ishmael, and the other relatives, the other descendants of Abraham, were, formed a jealousy and a hatred because, you know, Israel was God's chosen people. And so since then, there's been a kind of family jealousy or hatred called the ancient hatred. 
And so Hagar was part of that, you see. That's drawing attention to this, this, this motivation. Hagar, the mother of Ishmael, <coughs> who was, was cast out in competition with Sarah. And, and so, she, you know, she had a beef against, against uh, Israel. So this is describing Egypt, as I say. They were one of the main attacking nations in the wars since 1948. And then the next one is Gibal, verse 7, which is north Lebanon. Uh, then Ammon, which is another son of Lot in part of Jordan. And Amalek is probably from Arabia. And then, which fits with modern events, very recent events, Philistia. Phil this is the, actually what we would think of as Hamas, um, which was part of the Muslim Brotherhood, the, the origin of modern Islamic terrorism. Um, the, the Hamas occupies Gaza, which was the territory occupied by the ancient Philistines. So this reference to Philistia talks about, you know, basically Hamas. And then it says, with the inhabitants of Tyre. It links them with the inhabitants of Tyre, which is in South Lebanon. And that, of course, is Hezbollah. So here, it, we, in our modern language, we would say Hamas and Hezbollah were, were part of this attack. So we are still, with the recent war with Hamas, we are still in Psalm 83. This is where we're at right now. And um, they are named, Hamas in particular is named uh, in here as Philistia. Uh, and then it says Assyria. Assyria was included Syria and Iraq. And they were involved in the uh, 1948 and so forth. Syria has also joined with them, and they have helped the children of, of Lot. That's Moab and Ammon, Salah. So that exact list is exactly the nations that have come against Israel since 1948. And there's been a history, so some of them have been defeated. And, e and Egypt, for instance, um, all of them were involved in 1948. Then Egypt, Jordan and Syria were in 1967. Then in 73 was Egypt and Syria. And then because of these defeats, Egypt and Jordan made peace treaties with Israel. But since then, we've had Lebanon wars and wars with Hezbollah and Hamas. So we're still in Psalm 83, although much of it has been fulfilled. Many of these enemies have essentially been defeated, but because of Iran's support, of Hamas and Hezbollah, we're still in Psalm 83. So what does this prayer uh, now pray? And this is a prayer, and this, I believe, is a model for how one should pray in this situation. And it's a prayer for military victory for Israel. And more than that, it's a prayer for God to take leadership in the war as he did in the past. And that's verse 9 to 15. He says, deal with them as with Midian. And then, and then the next part should be in a paragraph, because this is a different war, as with Sisera, as with Jabin at the Brook Kishon. And then he goes back to an ancient war with Midian, who perished at Endor, who became as refuse on the earth, make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb, let, yes, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. So there was a war in the past uh, with the Midianites and actually the Amalekites who wanted to take control 
of the land of Israel that God had given Israel. And we will see what, what happened then. In fact, this is the story of Gideon in Judges 6 to 8, when there was this massive invasion. And basically, God took charge. God took the leadership in this war because he actually gave Gideon, he said, he raised up Gideon and said, you are a mighty man, you're going to be the leader of Israel. And then God gave him the battle instructions, which was basically choose 300 men. And then God gave them the battle plan of, of just having these men surround the massive armies of the Midianites and blow the trumpet and smash the jars and the light shine. And as a result, the Midianites all kind of went into panic and killing each other. And then what happened after that is that they pursued them and killed them, especially the leaders. Notice in the prayer, it talks about Oreb, Zeb, Zeba and Zalmunna. And the prayer is that those leaders, those were the leaders that if you read the story, those leaders were caught and dealt with. And so this is the prayer that God would take charge as he did in the days of Gideon, of these invaders, and he would actually uh, defeat them militarily. God would actually give the power and the wisdom to defeat them, and in particular, that all the enemy leaders would be defeated and judged so that they could not rise, raise another attack. And you can read about that in Judges 6 to 8. Now, the other war that was mentioned is with Sisera, as was Jabin at the brook Kishon. Now this is the story in Judges 4 and 5. This is the war led by Deborah and Barak because they were under the oppression, Judges 4-3, by Jabin, the king of Hatsor. He had 900 chariots of iron. These were the, the super tankers of the, the super tanks of their day, as it were. And he had harshly oppressed. Now God took the leadership here and he spoke to Deborah, who was the judge at that time, and gave her the battle plan. Basically, he says, has not the Lord, she, he says, Deborah, he spoke to Deborah and Deborah said, has not the Lord God commanded, go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor, take with you 10,000 men. She was telling Barak to do this and take them up on Mount Tabor and against you I'll deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon and I will deliver him into your hand. So God has taken charge of this battle to give Israel the victory against these invaders and the way he did it is a very clever plan. He said, I'll put 10,000 men on Tabor and that way you'll draw the enemy armies up to Mount Tabor, which is where the river Kishon is. And this is very clever now, because when you read Judges 5, which is Deborah's song of victory, she describes what actually happened. God was in charge of this, because she says, when you marched from the field of Eden, the earth trembled, and the heavens roared, and the clouds poured water, and the mountains gushed before the Lord. In other words, God had it all planned that as soon as those armies went there in that, into that location, God, as it were, marched from Edom. There was an earthquake. There was a massive outpouring of water. The, the rivers flowed down from the mountains and the whole big battlefield became waterlogged. And guess what? Those chariots were stuck in the mud because the river Kishon overflowed its banks. 
And he says in verse 20, they fought from the heavens, the stars, I think that's the angels, fought against Sisera. And it says the torrent of Kishon swept them away, that ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. And it describes the horse, horses in their panic, stamping around, um, trying to get out of this mud. And as a result, all this super army was actually rendered useless because of God's use of, of the weather and they all got out their chariots and fled and of course they were destroyed and so as a result God gave Israel the victory God actually took charge of the battle plan and the prayer is that God would do the same thing in this end time battle that God would inspire Israel to and give them the victory supernaturally and if you read the story of the wars of 48 and 67 73, especially 73, there was a miraculous interventions by God um, and, and, and against all odds Israel won because the hand of God was, was with Israel and gave them the wisdom and, and so forth. And so that prayer was actually fulfilled in those recent battles and, and it's going to be fulfilled in the, in the battle with, with Hamas. And so this is the prayer in verse 13, O God, O my God, make them like the whirling dust, like the chaff before the wind. It's a prayer that as, as God's Spirit goes through, as it were, they, the, the power of the enemy will melt away. As the fire burns the woods and as the flame sets the mountains on fire, so pursue them with your tempest and frighten them with your storm. This is a prayer, again, that the, the terrorists and the enemies will, will be confounded and defeated. But the purpose is, is actually for their salvation, the salvation of the, the people here, because they're trusting in the wrong God. And he says, fill their faces with shame, that they may seek your name, O God. In other words, let them realize they're trusting in something false, so that they will seek your name. That, that this defeat of these enemies is actually a blessing in disguise, as they realize that who the true God is. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever, if they don't repent. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish that they might know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. This is the purpose, that they will realize that the true God is the most high God. Praise God. That God wants to save people in the Muslim nations. Praise God. And, and that is Psalm 83. It is a prophetic prayer that has stunningly been fulfilled. It hasn't completely been fulfilled yet, because Israel still has enemies in the inner ring of nations, but many of them have suffered defeat, uh, you know, at the hands of God through Israel. And that will continue to happen uh, until that, that has been completed. I think Psalm 83 is mostly defeat happened now, that, that we're seeing the destruction of Hamas, and probably the next thing is Hezbollah. And then, of course, if you look at Syria, Iraq, all of these are, are broken powers, and then the own, then the, main, the the threat to Israel will be from the outer ring nations like Iran, Turkey, and so forth. Um, but mostly, Psalm 83 has been fulfilled. Jordan, Egypt, no longer a threat to Israel. All the other nations no longer a threat, except the. Iranian proxies, Hamas and Hezbollah. So Psalm 83 is a stunning fulfillment of prophecy. Praise God. And if you want to see what happens after Psalm 83, get my book, The Imminent Invasion of Israel. Amen. Thank you for watching. Join with us at Oxford Bible Church every Sunday at 11 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time for our live stream service. Or join us at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford.
OX37QH. You can watch more of our teachings on our Roku channel and Derek Walker's YouTube channel. All Derek Walker's books are available in printed and Kindle versions in all Amazons worldwide or online with other great products, where you can also support our programs at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.